I'm Andy Crouch, inviting you to download and listen to the new Beer Edge podcast, a source for news, information, and insight regarding the brewing industry and the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. The show, co-hosted by John Hall and I, talks with key players on the front lines of the beer business to give you insights and advice on how to navigate these uncharted waters. The Beer Edge podcast is available on all major platforms, or you can visit us at beeredge.com podcasts. Thanks for your support. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer. I'm John Hall, and today I'm talking with Avery Swanson about her new brewing venture, Keeping Together. But first, I'd like to invite you to check out BeerEdge.com. There, you can read articles, find podcast episodes, and subscribe to our newsletter. It's all there online, and you can also please check out our social media pages at The Beer Edge. If you're a fan of this show, you're likely a fan of beer in general, and you likely have already heard of Avery Swanson. She's had one of the more storied careers in beer thus far, going from a volunteer at Jester King in Austin to its head brewer in just four years. But new challenges awaited her, and so she moved north to Chicago, where she started Keeping Together, a brewery that is focusing on mixed-culture, rustic, Belgian-inspired beers. We cover a lot of ground in this interview, so I want to get right into it. We recorded just before the 4th of July holiday weekend, and she spoke to me from Chicago about brewing philosophy, ingredients, and the changing nature of beer. Here's our conversation. What is Keeping Together? Um, Keeping Together is, I, I've described it before as a beer making and business experiment, uh, but <laughs> it's, I think at this point, a little bit more than an experiment. I'm uh, fully committed to this endeavor. Um, it's basically just my attempt at making beer um, that is interesting and drinkable and balanced and uh, using it as a medium to increase the empathy of the world. Increase the the empathy of the world. How how do you do that through beer? I'm not entirely sure yet. I'm figuring that out (laughs) as we go. (laughs) That's a great description Uh, though. Yeah. Yeah, I figured, you know, that that very much is my intention. Um, and I think, you know, in any project that you take on in your life, um, setting your intention in the beginning of that project or that endeavor is an important part of the process. Um, I think just for me personally, it's always been um, a goal of mine to kind of hold space for people to be who they are and just feel comfortable um, around me honestly i think that uh i've experienced so many social interactions where people are um maybe not like obviously uncomfortable but you know we're all we all have our own social quirks and eccentricities and i would so much rather just be an open person who uh, you know in any social interaction that i might have with somebody that they feel comfortable and they feel safe and that they feel like they can be who they really are um you know, while they're with me. So in putting together kind of my business plan and my thoughts for this brand, I wanted the brand to be an extension of that. So I I guess that's a lot to, that's a lot to unpack and that's sort of a lot to take in. We talk about beer being (laughs) a community quite a bit. Um, And 
I do think that going to breweries and going to tap rooms and, and, and meeting brewers fosters conversation, fosters ideas. Um, and you do have, you know, folks from various backgrounds, you know, beer is not as diverse as people would like it to be, um, or as it, as it should be. Um, but you, you use sort of a word uncomfortable or you did use the word uncomfortable uh, a, a minute ago, if I recall correctly. And qualify that like what like do you think people were have been treating you different because of your uh, position as a brewer or no not necessarily i think i mean more generally um you know we're all i don't know we're all very different people in the world every single human being is completely and totally unique we all have our own memories and experiences and you know personal histories and um i don't know i think my experiences traveling um, for beer and, and going to beer festivals and meeting people from different cultures and um, different walks of life and things like that. It's always been very fascinating to me to watch people interact with one another. Um, and I don't know, I think that in the beer industry, there is a lot of that. There are people in the industry who come from, you know, IT or they come from academia or they come from, you know, engineering. These are people that all think in very different ways. Um, and you kind of put that on top of this very multicultural um, experience going to, you know, like a, a beer festival in a different country, for instance. And it's, it's just very interesting to watch people interact. Um, and I think that it kind of forces you like that experience specifically um, kind of forces people into this space of like, well, I don't necessarily know if what I'm uh, saying or portraying is really getting my message across. And so, I don't know, I think, uh, I don't know, for me holding space and kind of just being very open um, and hearing what people are saying, not just in the words that they're using, but kind of in what they're not saying um, is, is part of that. Um, I don't know, maybe uncomfortable isn't the most appropriate word for it. I think, um, you know, there are, I don't know, there's a lot of people that find a little bit stronger of a voice after they've been drinking alcohol. <laughs> uh, so it might even just be kind of, um, in observing those interactions, people who would normally be a bit more introverted or a little bit more, um, reserved, begin to speak out a little bit more and you kind of watch the the process going on in their brain as that's happening you can kind of tell um you know should i have said that should i have not said that and you know do they understand what i'm saying um i don't know it's very uh people are fascinating to me and and i think uh you know the the safer space that i can hold for for folks um i don't know the more you can learn so when you were at Jester King, there's there's certain beer brands and certain breweries that just by the look of their logo um, command a certain amount of attention or command a certain amount of respect. Uh, and that's certainly based on the beer itself uh, and certainly based on, on, on the people uh, who are representing that as well. You know, it's not just a Madison Avenue manufactured kind of thing. Like there has to be you know, some real thought and some real, uh, you know, passion behind it. Cause you know, people are going to 
respect that and, 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 and sort of follow through. Um, but when you start your own thing, you know, how, how much do you take from what you learned along the way? Um, but also with, you know, what you wish you could have been doing earlier or, you know, you know what you thought to yourself, like, oh, you know, like when I open up my own place one day, like I'm going to do it this way. Were there conversations in your head like that? Um, that's a great question. Um, I feel like there was, I mean, first of all, my experience at Chester King was one of the most amazing and uh, frankly, most formative experiences of my life. Um, I am very grateful to have had the opportunity to work there uh, with all of the incredibly creative people that I did work with. Um, I feel like over the six years that I worked there, um, I had developed a fairly strong network of people around the world, beer makers that, uh, and just industry profess- professionals that, um, you know, I think did respect what we did and, and, you know, loved the beer and loved the story and everything like that. And I, I very much felt like I was a, a, a part of that story um, in venturing out to do or to start keeping together. Um, you know, I feel like part of that story came with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't necessarily feel like I've, I've have lost that. I feel like it's, uh, you know, kind of a, an evolution or an extension of that original s- story. Um, I don't know. I think that, towards the end of my tenure there, I, you know, we had changed quite a bit as a company. We had bought the rest of the the land that the brewery was situated on, um, including a pizza restaurant, uh, which was already its own fully functioning business. So we inherited a fair amount of employees and we just, we basically doubled in size overnight um, from like a personnel standpoint. And I think a lot of the conversations that I was having in my mind and many of which were kind of subconscious. I didn't, I don't think I really came to articulate how I felt about everything until um, probably late 2018, um, which is when I ended up putting in my notice um, that I was going to be leaving. Um, And I kind of just decided that I didn't necessarily want to um, manage such a large business. Um, it had, you know, there, I remember coming to the brewery and there were folks working and I had not met them before. Um, and (laughs) that was kind of a disconcerting feeling for me. I, I very much wanted to know every person that, that worked at the company that I, you know, was a leader in. And it was, uh, it was hard to manage that on top of managing all of the production and managing, all of the offsite events and traveling and being an ambassador for the brand. So um, I think one of the major things that I wanted to do differently in my business was just to create some balance um, for myself and to create something that was very manageable um, for me alone in the beginning. And then as it continues to grow, um, you know, I just, I don't want it to grow too fast um, or grow too large um, I just, I want it very much to be, uh, an organically evolving thing. It's such an interesting take because I, 
I've had this conversation with with only a handful of breweries because it, it, it the American ideal or the American dream is you know, how big can we get or how you know how yeah. successful can we be based on volume or dollars or you know anything like that and a, and a standard question and I ask this all the time of of brewers is you know well how many barrels did you do last year like that's some sort of you know measure of success um, but to sort of pull back and to have a desire to you know be small both in personnel i guess and also in barrelage and and in in size um it it sounds like that gives you a better sense of peace as a brewer yeah i would say so um you know i but it's so counterintuitive to like i guess what what so many other people think of like as the beer industry yeah 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 i agree with you you know i i've have nothing but respect, uh, extreme respect for breweries that are making large volumes of beer and that have, you know, extensive uh, personnel. Like, I think that that's amazing. If you can manage a business like that well, that is absolutely something to be proud of and something that people should be impressed by and respect. Um, But I think at the same time, um, you know, you start diverging from what you diverge from the craft, honestly. Um, you know, I know plenty of brewery owners who started out as home brewers and as the company grew, they, you know, brewed less and less. And, you know, five years in, they haven't picked up a mash paddle in, you know, yeah years. So I don't know. I think for me, the brewing itself was something that I really loved. Um, you know, I didn't, start working at a brewery because I thought that it would allow me to travel. Um, I started working at a brewery because I wanted to brew beer commercially. Um, so I don't know, for me, I wanted to get back to that. Um, I also, you know, I wanted everything that I made to have my hands on it. Um, and I certainly had that at Jester King, um, for a long time, but as I took more and more on, you know, naturally I, I, couldn't do everything as well as I wanted to. And so I had to start, um, you know, kind of letting some things go or uh, relinquishing my control over certain things, which is fine. But, um, and I'm grateful for that experience also, but I, uh, I don't know. I wanted to have my hands back on the thing that I was actually making. Um, Yeah. So So let's talk about the beer then, because so what do you have your hands on these days? What are you making? Um, Saison, <laughs> uh, basically just Saison. I really love um, the style. I think it is a an extremely versatile and approachable style. Um, I think, you know, over the last few years, the industry has seen a fair amount of like category crossover. Um, people who would go out and say, I am just a wine drinker. I don't drink beer or I only drink cocktails. I don't drink wine. Um, I think uh, younger people are kind of becoming a bit more experimental. Um, they're crossing over and they'll have a beer and then they'll have a glass of wine and then maybe a cocktail. And there's not that same kind of, um, you know, category loyalty that there may have been a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So I think from that perspective, a little bit more of a kind of analytical perspective, Cezanne offers a lot to a lot of people, uh, in my opinion. I think that because there isn't really, 
a ton of rigid guidelines to what that beer is supposed to be. You can really take some creative liberty with it. Um, I think it's also a fairly easy base style to kind of venture into the world of hybrid beverages as well. So kind of beer, wine, uh, hybrids, things like that. Um, I have been exploring some of the ingredients up here in the Midwest that I did not have access to down in Texas. Yeah, so I want to get back into Cezanne, but I mean, you also went from, you know, sprawling farmlands and barns and, uh, you know, endless space or thereabouts to store the beers that you were making when you were a Jester King. And now you're in Chicago where space is a premium and you're also (laughs) renting space, right? And, And under somebody else's roof. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because people think that there was all this space at Jester King to store stuff. And like the reality was we had, we were just on top of each other. (laughs) Um, as far as like air conditioned space goes, we had very little air conditioned space. So, um, there, they, we definitely had our own challenges with that there. Um, but that being said, and I'm sorry, I I meant more of like the expanse of the land and all of that. No, no, no. The brewery itself. I was, when I visited a couple of years ago was, was very surprised at, uh, the footprints. (laughs) It's a small, small building. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, you know, I, I don't know where this quote comes from, but, uh, I've heard that constraint breeds creativity right uh so the idea that like i can't see the ingredients growing right in front of me uh i know that they're there i know i can call a farmer and they can bring them to me um i have to do a little bit more work to find the ingredients that i'm curious to use here whereas back at jk it was a little bit more like um you know I could walk around the property and I could find things or I could walk around the property and I would see things that I could use as ingredients, but I had seen them every day, you know, and I had kind of glossed, I would gloss over things. Um, whereas here there's definitely an element of like, okay, what, what can I use, uh, in order to make the beer that I want to make? Um, it's definitely a different vibe and environment here in in chicago the industry especially i find it to be very different than the one in austin how so um which i don't know chicago is a is an older beer scene for sure um i feel like the people here uh the consumers here are pretty well educated when it comes to beer um and i don't know if the fact that like the siebel institute is here the cicerone organization headquarters is here uh, but there is like a a fairly educated consumer base here. Um, people know what they like. They know what they don't like. Everybody has opinions. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's for me, it's a level of feedback that I wasn't necessarily used to getting in, in Austin. Um, in Austin, it's a little bit, the scene felt so much younger. And Austin just generally has this kind of never, never land feel about it. Um, it's a fairly young city, uh, you know, college, college city. Uh, and it just, I don't know, the beer consumers there were just kind of like, oh, that sounds cool. I like it. You know, there wasn't a ton of, um, I felt a ton of critical analysis about the things that we were making. Um, so I, I do appreciate that about the scene here. Um, you, do, I feel, do, do you actually appreciate it or are you like seething inside? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I really do. Cause I mean, you know, as a master Cicerone, um, and, you know, take that as you will, I, 
I've done a lot of training on my own palate. I have fairly um, strong ideas about what makes a beer high quality. Um, and I try to actively question the beliefs that I have about things, especially when it comes to beer, but everything. Um, and so to have people constantly, or maybe not constantly, but to have people pipe up with a confidence and a comfortability about what they think might be wrong or how I could do something better is really uh, kind of refreshing. And I don't know, it gives me the opportunity to, to really question the things that I kind of take for granted in my process. So do you have a good example of that? Cause I find that, that, that's so interesting because I know speaking with brewers over the years, you know, that the beer that they put out, you hope is their final intent. And, you know, it's more of, you know, this is my expression of this. And so I hope you like it. And if you don't, that's fine. Um, but it, it almost seems like you're, you're listening to a lot of this criticism and trying to, or any criticism that comes your way, not a lot of it, but, you know, listening to the criticism and trying to decide, you know, what's valid, what's not, and how you can improve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question too. Um, let me think of, I'm not sure if I can come up with a, a really concrete example off the top of my head. Sure. Um, but I'll start out saying that, you know, I envisioned this brand originally to be very collaborative. Um, you know, I've always kind of considered what I do with a mixed culture of yeast and bacteria to be a collaboration. Um, you know, you'll hear brewers say, I don't make beer, I make wort. The mm -hmm. yeast makes the beer. Um, and that's something that I've always kind of, uh, honestly held, held close. Um, so it's a very collaborative endeavor from the get go. Um, making beer here at half acre also, um, you know, there's and, a and that's where, and that's where you're making your wort and that's where you're, you're storing yes. your barrels as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I'm doing all of the beer making. Um, and they're, you know, really great. I'm, I'm very grateful to have this arrangement here. Um, how did you come to but, them by the way? Uh, you know, I've traveled to Chicago. Uh, I had traveled to Chicago a bunch while I was still at JK. And so I'd met the folks at half acre, you know, on like the festival circuit and, uh, you know, got along well with them. Um, I came up here honestly, just to hang out with Lee who's the, the special projects brewer and mm -hmm. manager of the barrel programs there. And um, just to kind of see what was going on and uh, ran into Gabriel, who is one of the owners, founder yep. of Half Acre. And uh, he and I got to talking and he was like, you know, if you are looking for space, like we can, I would love to have a conversation with you about that. And so it kind of um, snowballed from there. Uh, this would have definitely been probably the this was my top choices to breweries here in Chicago that I might want to work with or, uh, you know, collaborate with, um, off color was definitely up there as well, sure. but John and I are super duper good friends. And I was like, if this goes awry, I, uh, I don't want to lose this person <laughs> as one of my close friends. Um, so, uh, and too, I felt like since Laffler does a ton of mixed culture stuff too, uh, it would have been kind of same, same. And I, uh, that was less appealing to me than being able to do what I'm doing in a place where, um, you know, they're, they're making very different beer. Makes sense. So, so anyway, so I interrupted you by asking you about oh, it's okay. uh, being there, but so back to the other point. Um, yeah. So I feel like in making beer, I, I try to kind of start from a place of, um, you know, this is a beer that I've made. It's usually inspired by some other 
sensory experience that I've had, a flavor experience, a meal or a cocktail or, you know, whatever, um, try to recreate that memory in liquid beverage form um, and then share that memory, that, that beer with the people that are consuming it. Um, so it's kind of like if you were to tell a story to a friend and, you know, you're telling, you're trying to communicate all of those things. And as we're doing right now, you know, you kind of like, you say something and it's a dialogue. Um, you know, if I, if I mention a certain sensory element that has a, has had a really deep impact on me, um, and the person I'm talking to has also had a deep impact with that flavor or that sensory experience. I love to hear what their experience was. If there's overlap, that's awesome. If there's like something totally, uh, you know, incongruent with our sensory experiences, that is also extremely interesting to me. So to be able to make beer and, and hear what people think about it and kind of, you know, I taste a certain thing, but somebody else might taste something completely different. I, uh, it gives me insight into the overall flavor experience that I wouldn't have had, yeah. um, had that dialogue not existed. So you're putting out beers one at a time, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's got to be interesting for a perspective as well, right? Because it's not like walking into a tap room where you might have 10 or 12 different beers on, you know, if we could still go to tap rooms, but, you know, and, uh-huh. you know, having somebody check in on untapped and it sort of be all over the place and, you know, try to, you know, figure out, you know, how one beer is doing versus another and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, score wise, it, it, you, you get a ton of feedback and data just on, like on one beer at a time, essentially. Yeah. Um, I, I check untapped occasionally. Um, that's probably like the main, uh, conduit for feedback, uh, that I'm kind of checking regularly. I'm sure there's stuff on beer advocate or rate beer too. I just haven't, haven't spent a ton of time digging through that stuff. Um, so I don't know, receiving feedback on just one beer at a time is interesting. Uh, this most recent beer that I put out is a smoked it's a lavender smoked saison refermented with honey um and you know it's the we're fourth gonna come back beer to that, that in I've, a second yeah yeah it's the fourth beer that i've put out and it's a smoked beer and smoked beers are probably the most polarizing style that exists not on this uh, show either... <laughs> i love smoked beers and i have been <laughs> saying for a couple of years now that smoked beers will be the next hazy ipas so when that happens you know who to credit uh, um but <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, the, the podcast this week in Rauschbeer is uh, is really, uh, I think, driving the national conversation at this point. But that's uh, all right. We'll come right. back to that well, later. on. That's fair. Yes. I haven't put a ton of work into spreading the gospel of smoked beers. So uh, I'm, I'm being a bit more subversive <laughs> with it, I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I put out this beer and I was like, I know that this is not going to be anybody's favorite beer. This is not a style. And, and two, it's like, you know, it's a Saison. It's got a little bit of acidity to it at the moment. Um, it's got this like really interesting floral character. Um, but overall it tastes very much like a mezcal margarita. So, and mezcal That's is fun. polarizing. Yeah. People are not crazy about mezcal. So, um, you know, I put that out knowing full well that it wasn't going to be anybody's favorite beer. Um, to be honest, it's not my favorite beer, but I think it's fascinating. It's really an interesting flavor profile. Um, the raw ingredients were really intriguing to me. Um, yeah, so and, smoked lavender. 
Yeah. So just like the actual flour, like put through the smoking process. Well, so smoking, like basically setting the lavender on fire and using the smoke from that smoke that from that flour to smoke the barley. um, barley Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes a little bit more sense now. Okay. So I, uh, been work, I've been working with, um, Sugar Creek out here. Um, it's a, a craft maltster in Indiana. Yep. Caleb is the guy that runs it mm-hmm. and um, he's brilliant and he's doing all kinds of really cool, interesting things. They brought this, this lavender smoked barley by for us to try. And I was just like blown away by how interesting it was and decided that I was going to make a beer with it. Um, so it's almost exclusively that lavender smoked barley, which, you know, for a lot of smoked beers, you're not, you're not trying to use, you know, that as it's usually used as a small portion of your recipe um, or grain bill. And I used a, a fair amount of it in this beer um, with some uh, some wheat and some oats. And uh, it's, yeah, really, really interesting. I, I I hopped it hot side with EKG, which is a pretty floral hop to begin with. Um, and I thought that that would play nicely off of it. And yeah, it was, I don't know, it was a very, very interesting raw ingredient and made a very interesting beer. So When you're releasing beers now, are you planning these as a one-off or is there a possibility yeah. to come back to them later on or what's the, I certainly could come back to them later on if I wanted to. Um, the first beer that I made was a table beer. Uh, that beer I will probably be making fairly regularly. It's a style of beer that I love and is something that I would like to have around mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time. So, um, I've got the second batch of that in tank right now, actually. And, uh, We'll probably make it one more time this year, but um, yeah, for the most part, these beers are kind of, uh, you know, they're I, to say one off is kind of a like, I don't know, I, I don't want to give the impression that it's like, oh, this is the only time you'll ever get to try it. You better, you know, make sure you get a bottle. Right. It's kind of just like a, you know, a fleeting moment or a fleeting glimpse, um, and. You know, you don't have to try all of them. Obviously, there's not a ton to go around. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't really. I don't know. I don't really have the desire to do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Um, and so, what about what about aging them? Are you are you more of the mindset of these are things to drink as soon as <laughs> release or are you looking to lay some down Um, at this point? I think that they're perfectly fine to, I mean, I, I would suggest drinking them fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they will, it, it's hard to say how they'll develop with time. Um, you know, given that it is mixed culture and they're bottle conditioned, they will continue to develop a bit if you are cellaring them properly. Um, but overall, I, I would make the argument that most people are probably not cellaring things appropriately. Um, probably. myself included, uh, I, you know, through this quarantine have gone through many bottles of beer. Uh, my, my partner and I are both beer people and have accumulated our fair share of bottles over the years. And, I imagine, yeah. you know, going through some of these things during this time and being like, okay, well, we should open that. Why not? And it's like a barrel aged stout or a barley wine or, you know, something even sour, barrel aged sour beers. And it's just, they lose some of their essence. They lose a lot of their, uh, 
vibrance. And to me, they're just not as good with, with that time. So yeah. if you're going to lay them down, I'd say do it appropriately in proper cellar temperature and only do it for a short period of time, maybe four to six months, maybe a year. Um, but at this point, they're fresh saisons and they should be enjoyed fresh. So you brought up the quarantine, uh, and obviously COVID is not going away anytime soon. I mean, the, the news yeah. kind of keeps getting more grim by the day, it seems. Um, I know four breweries with brick and mortar and uh, that had active tap rooms at the beginning of March. Uh, it's been a, a huge transition for them to you know, online sales and to go and uh, trying to figure out uh, you know what comes next when it comes to draft beer and, 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 and everything else with so many places shut down. What sort of challenges have you gone through with your business model? Um, so I am selling all of the beer primarily um, out of the half acre bottle shop. Um, so all of the package stuff is going, all of the bottles are going through the bottle shop there. Um, the draft, I had packaged a fair amount of draft for all of the beers. Um, and I haven't really changed the amount that I, I mean, everything is fairly small batch. I'm doing between seven and 15 barrels of beer at a time mm -hmm. um, and packaging about 50% draft somewhere between 40 and 60% draft package split um, depending on the beer. And uh, so I will say that like not being able to pour draft has been unfortunate and uh, it, it really sucks. Um, but that being said, I'm very grateful that the bottle shop is still running um, and I'm able to sell the beers there uh, without too much of an issue. Um, Chicago, you know, the people here in Chicago are fairly thirsty, which is fantastic. Uh, and uh, Half Acre has just done such a great job of trying to adapt and um, respond to what customers need and be safe and healthy um, for them and for the employees at Half Acre. So, um, you know, I've just kind of continued to work through the, the framework there. Um, but yeah, I would say the biggest challenge has, has been not being able to serve draft and not being able to really engage with people face to face in the tap room. Especially because um, you're, you're still a, a young business. Oh yeah. And so like yeah, that, so, that, that FaceTime is incredibly important. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've been doing a fair amount of like online live stream type things over the last couple of months. Um, I feel like that first month, nobody was doing it. A, it kind of like took a month for that to really ramp up. And then there was a ton of that going on and it's fizzled out a little bit over the last month and a half. Cause people are just over it. Uh, they're sick of being stuck in their homes and doing all this online stuff. But I don't think that the online thing is going to go away anytime soon. Um, I think if that is the only way in which to engage your consumers, um, you know, I, I think that it's silly not to take that opportunity to engage. So I'm, uh, I'm not taking like every opportunity to do that. Cause I, I don't know. I, it, this time has just been emotionally draining for everybody and, uh, you know, finding some balance there is important, but, um, I've been very grateful to be able to still engage with folks in a virtual way. Um, even if I can't sit down and have, and, you know, share a beer and listen to what people think in person. Because though the beer experience, especially when talking with brewers is sort of this, you know, at the bar or over beers um, it, itself, 
have you found that your messaging has changed or your approach to education or your approach to even trying to sell your own beer um, has changed in the last couple of months? Um, I would say yes. Um, I originally wanted to be uh, approaching this project with a bit more of a and I don't know, I, I, I love the idea of beer as art, and I wanted to figure out a way to uh, incorporate more art into the beer drinking experience. Um, and a lot of that was, or a lot of my ideas for that revolved around in-person type of events. Um, so I will say that, obviously, that has not happened. <laughs> um so just from like a purely uh, verbal standpoint, I would say that I'm still saying the things about the beers that I would have been saying otherwise. Mm-hmm. I'm probably putting a bit more effort into making, uh, into describing the beers a little bit more precisely, um, just so people are a bit more aware of what they're getting. Because, uh, you know, you can't really try it before you buy it. And especially like in the instance of the smoked beer, uh, you know, it. I don't want you to spend $18 on a bottle and then just absolutely hate it. Um, yeah. So trying to talk about what it is, but um, manage expectations in advance. Right. Exactly. Um, so I'm putting effort into that, but uh, you know, at the same time, I don't want to like influence somebody's flavor experience and skew that dialogue. So it, there is kind of, I'm trying to find a balance there, but uh putting one beer out every month or whatever, it doesn't lend itself to a ton of, uh, you know, I can't like change that process really quickly. So it takes a little while to kind of adapt and adjust um, the approach. Everybody does seem has a little bit more free time on their hands these days. Um, You know, just by nature of either not commuting or, you know, staying in, in, in indoors a lot more. Um, early on, there were some beer educators who were imploring uh, folks in the in, in the beer industry saying, you know, take this time to you know, relearn something or uh, follow a passion for the first time or, you know, try to expand your, your, your own sort of personal education. Are there are there things that are interesting to you these days that is a path that you'd like to walk down and, and kind of see where it takes you? I mean, I've been reading a lot about wine <laughs> and drinking a lot of wine. Okay. So uh, I'll say that that's, that's something that I've always felt like is fairly adjacent. I mean, it's obviously adjacent to the beer industry yeah. um, and especially the types of beers that I'm interested in making and consuming. Um, so there's been a fair amount of that, but I'd say too, that especially within the last month, um, there's definitely been a lot more focus for me personally. And I think for our country on, uh, you know, kind of becoming more aware of our social situation. Um, there, you know, the systemic racism that exists in this country is, has consumed our society and it's, uh, I don't know. I think, I think it's really an amazing thing that this movement is forcing people to question 
what they think they know about racism and about themselves and about our society. Um, so I would say that a large part of my brain uh, has been allocated to learning and reading and, and listening um, to that conversation. Where, where do you think the beer industry should be? right now it, 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 as we're having these conversations you know what it, there's obviously been the the black is beautiful uh, beer movement that's uh, that's that's taking place and there's close to a thousand breweries as of our conversation that have that have signed up for it and it's certainly increasing awareness um you know but it's it's sort of taken this this terrible human tragedy this terrible murder and all of these murders um you know, to have a, a national conversation about it. But, you know, beer, I think for a long time has considered itself to be, or craft beer, um, you know, diverse or, you know, different or rule, rule breaking. But it seems like there's a lot of conversations that are happening these days um, on how individual companies can be better. Um, and then how that can sort of translate out to a uh, consumer base, a, a, a fan base. Um and it sounds like you're sort of thinking yourself on, you know, how your own company can affect change. Yeah. Um, I'll say that for, for myself and for keeping together, uh, the message of keeping together yeah. <laughs> has, was something that I had put together before the pandemic. It was, you know, kind of, it, it was, the name was a long time in the making and I wanted the name to be something that uh, people needed to hear. I wanted it to be, uh, you know, kind of an imperative mantra. Um, and it's been kind of crazy uh, to wrap my mind around the fact that I had come up with that name and within six months, um, you know, the world was brought to its knees by, a pandemic and you know the word together was literally everywhere um i it reinforces to me that you know i'm on the right path uh personally with the messaging that i want to put out in the world mm -hmm. um but that being said i have struggled personally with trying to figure out how to um, be really effective in the messaging, how to be an effective leader in the industry um, during a time where people are really um, scared. Uh, and, you know, I don't have answers and I've never wanted to claim that I have answers. I have a lot of questions um, and I think that good leaders ask people questions and allow people to come to the answers on their own. Mm -hmm. um, so I, that's always kind of been my approach or my leadership style. Um, and I've struggled with figuring out how to apply that approach to my business. Um, but that being said, I think that, um, I think everybody is struggling a bit with how to be leaders for their companies, for their employees, for the industry and for the world. Um, I think that the beer industry overall, you know, there have been conversations about um, inclusivity and diversity and, you know, how to reach out um, to people of color and minority groups that 
how do we get more people in the industry? Um, but I think that recent events have resulted in those conversations being a little bit more, uh, certainly being more frequent, more focused. Um, there's a greater sense of urgency about it. Like we can't, yeah. the longer we wait to implement changes like this, the more people will die. And it's not, uh, you know, it's at some point you have to draw the line in the sand and say, this is, you know, it's too much. We have to make changes now. So I think, uh, I don't know. I think that it's, we're at a place in the industry where um, if you're not having those conversations, you should be. Avery, thanks so much for sitting down and, and talking with me this afternoon. I really yeah, appreciate John, it. It was my pleasure. I appreciate you having me. This is great. That's Avery Swanson of Keeping Together online at keepingtogether.com. My thanks to her for coming on the show. And now, like you, I'm in search of some lavender smoked malt beer because, well, smoked beer. If you like discussion on smoked beer, make sure you tune in to Steal This Beer every Monday. That style seems to be coming up a lot lately in our conversation. And I'd also invite you to check out the BYO Nano podcast, where new episodes of that are released on the 15th of every month. And, of course, there's the Beer Edge podcast, hosted by Andy Crouch. Give a listen to find out how brewers are dealing with the interesting and challenging times that we're currently in the middle of. And please check out BeerEdge.com for articles, podcast episode pages, and to subscribe to the newsletter. Nate Schweber did the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show are released every Wednesday, and that's when I'll be back to drink beer and to think beer. And I hope you join me.